Open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and let me conclude tonight what we began this morning. And that is a study of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. We looked this morning at all the reasons why we ought to fear the Lord, which are all the benefits and promises that the Lord has attached to His fear. One of those was that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, and the beginning of understanding. All reasoning begins with certain presuppositions. Either you start your reasoning from the fact that there is no Creator, and everything is just an accident, and your great-grandparents were baboons, or you begin your reasoning with, there is a supreme being with an infinite intelligence that created everything, and since the Bible hasn't been proven in error, and it's filled with prophecies that have been fulfilled over thousands of years of time, I believe that God wrote that book. And so you reason from Him and it. You begin with a presupposition wherever you wish, all men have faith, but they don't have faith in God. The world has faith in their baboon parents, that there is nothing. That since I'm a smart baboon, and I've read a couple books by smart baboons, between the three of us, we've arrived at knowledge. We trust the Word of God. It starts out with telling us that God created all things, and we go from there, and we reason from that presupposition. All men start their reasoning with presuppositions. You can't avoid it. Either you've got to say, I'm going to reason in a vacuum, or I'm going to reason from the Word of God. I'm going to follow dysfunctional failures like Charles Darwin, or I'm going to follow the Word of God that's changed men's lives for 2,000 years. It's an easy choice for us, because the Lord's granted us faith in Him and His Word. 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning, and already in a couple of minutes I've made fun of the wisdom of this world. The Bible's filled with that because God has promised to make the wisdom of this world foolish. He laughs at all the men of learning. He thinks they're all idiots. He calls them brute beasts and stupid children. And He is guaranteed that He will take them all down and prove that their wisdom is nothing. I want to take you to two verses that are addressed to me. Because they're in a pastoral epistle. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and the last two verses of this first epistle. Paul to Timothy. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Amen. The world science and the Bible are not compatible. Because the world science is an illusion. It's a hallucination. It's a theory. It is not fact. Evolution is not a fact. We learned that in the sixth grade. That the scientific method professed by them is that you better be able to duplicate anything that you're believing as a hypothesis in your own experiments, and they cannot duplicate evolution. Turn yourself into something before you go to bed tonight. Since death is such a terrible thing, why haven't they evolved death away? Because God sent death for us sinning. But notice what the Word of God says about the learning of men and about science. The word science means knowledge, and God said they call it science, but it's so-called science because they don't have any knowledge. 
real knowledge comes from the presupposition there is a God and He's written the Bible and the Bible is true. Then we have knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. And if you begin reasoning there is a Creator God, He wrote the Bible and the Bible is true, and you open its pages to find out what the Bible teaches, you have a manual for the origin of the universe, the origin of man, the purpose of man, the end of man, the nature of God, what God has done for man, and what man can do to please God, how to have a functional marriage, how to train your children, how to get along on the job, how to get ahead on the job, and how to... It goes on and on and on. Because we've got something. They're still struggling. They're still striving to find the answers. You know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, they came up with the idea, men don't love themselves enough. So they built the self-love theories, the self-esteem theories, the self-confidence, the self-acceptance. Now they're repudiating that. The studies that have come out now are repudiating that, realizing because they've gone into prisons and found out that criminals have the highest degree of self-esteem and self-confidence of anyone. That's why they're criminals. They're not going to be bound by anyone else's ideas of how they ought to conduct themselves. Our marriage is getting better in this country in the last 100 years as people have left the Word of God. Not a chance. The answers are right here. What I'm teaching you today is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is right here in this book. Children, look at what the Apostle Paul called it in a private letter to Timothy. Their ideas out there, what are they? Profane and vain babblings. If you're wondering when you read my Proverbs why I love the word profane, it's because it's in the Word of God. It's unholy. Profane and vain babblings. And oppositions of science, falsely so-called. What's falsely so-called? Using the word science, they don't have a right to it. Theirs is a religion. Evolution is a religion. It's the belief that a dysfunctional Englishman named Charles Darwin knew what he was talking about. And all his was was a hallucination that he... Listen, the man was AWOL from his job. He jumped on a sailing ship and went and watched birds and animals and said, listen, that bird's different from this bird. I'll bet that bird decided to change itself into that bird. And he wrote The Origin of Species. And the world follows him. A dysfunctional idiot from England. When we have the Word of God that starts out with these words, in the beginning, God created. And we all know that. We know that order, beauty, and design, and reproductive power and life does not come from an explosion of gases. How do you get life out of an explosion of lifeless stuff? Even little children know that. How do you get design and beauty and reproductive capabilities out of an explosion? How do you get God consciousness out of two baboons? Listen, you've got to work to get baboons conscious of a banana, let alone of a supreme being. And there is within men the knowledge that there is a God, so the Bible says they're without excuse. Amen. Oh, enough on that. I just want you to know what it says in the Word of God. And it says that anyone professing that, look at what 21 warns us about, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Faith and the world science doesn't mix. Now, there are scientists that have faith, and they have wonderful websites, and they have wonderful videos. And then they can show you that as far as science is able to go, everything that it's found backs up the Word of God. 
we saw all the benefits of fearing the Lord. This morning's sermon, there's going to be an outline. It'll be on the internet within 24 hours. Remember it. Use it. It's, an, it's, a, it's a pleasant Bible study. Let's be God-fearers in this church. Amen. What is it? What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is belief in the Creator God of the Bible with an awestruck consciousness of His glory and greatness and a loving desire to obey all that He requires to please Him and to avoid His anger. Let me say that again. It's just to help you. It's not a verse. The fear of the Lord is belief in the Creator God of the Bible with an awestruck consciousness of His glory and greatness and a loving desire to obey all that He requires to please Him and to avoid His anger. Where does it come from? Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Why do some men fear God and others don't? You say you weren't very nice to Charles Darwin. I represent the high King of Heaven and I have no reason to be nice to Charles Darwin. I will treat him the way the Bible treats him and all others like him. The Bible says that the heathen all have their gods. They have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. They have feet, but they don't move. They have hands, but they hold not. And all that worship them are like unto them. That's how the Bible speaks about false worship. Romans chapter 3 and verse 18. Look at what it says. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The natural man, the average American, the average Australian, the average Chinese doesn't believe the Creator God of heaven is worthy of fear. A reverential respect and a desire to please Him because there is no fear of God before their eyes. When you were born the first time, before you were born again by the Holy Spirit of God, there was no fear of God before your eyes. You lived your little life the the little way that you wanted to. God has changed us by putting in our hearts that belief that there is a Creator God and that we lovingly want to obey Him. That's implanted in us by the power of God. Romans 3 tells us here that the, the natural condition of man is that there is no fear of God before their eyes. No true fear. Now, they fear Him. When a storm comes along, they fear Him. When someone dies and they look at them in a casket, they fear Him sometimes. But they don't fear God in the way the Bible describes godly fear. They fear God like the way Adam did, went and hiding in the trees of the garden because God was going to hold him accountable for what he did wrong. That isn't the fear of God. That's the fear of the devil. The devil trembles at the knowledge of God and what God's going to do to him for his sin. Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord. The Lord has to put it in us. Look at Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah 32. You know, most men don't fear God. That's why we have this little church here, is where we can all get together inside these walls because we all fear God. We all believe the Bible. We believe Charles Darwin was insane. We believe the Bible is true. We believe that science, falsely so-called, that's taught in our educational institutions. So we're all in here together because we believe the God of the Bible. We fear God, but that is something that God gives men, and not all men fear God. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 39. The Lord said, relative to adoption, 
in verse 38, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And it goes, and he goes on to say, and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Thank you, Lord, for the terms of the everlasting covenant in which He'll put the fear of God into our hearts. That's why we fear God. There have been times in my life where I didn't fear God. But He put the fear of God into our hearts. And thank the Lord for that. That He made that difference. And look at what it says. For the good of them and of their children after them. A great family tree is dependent upon one man beginning with the fear of the Lord and it coming into his children and from them into their children. That is a great family tree. And whether you were born into a great family tree or not doesn't matter. God's had mercy on you. God has had mercy to call you whenever he has. And you ought to plug yourself in now if you have children into the fear of the Lord. I am going to be a God-fearing man, and I'm going to influence my wife and my children, my children's spouses and their children, as much as I can for the fear of the Lord. And look what God promises to do for the man that fears the Lord. He'll bless him and his children to do them good. You say, can the fear of the Lord be taught? Yes, it can be brought out from the heart. It can be taught. I read about a man named Cornelius. An Italian, a centurion in the Roman army. And Acts chapter 10 tells me that he feared God with all his house. He didn't even know the gospel, but he'd already taught his family they were going to fear the Lord. You're going to sit down at your dinner table with your wife and children, and you're going to teach them something. You're going to teach them that Dan, that Dan Rather has the truth. <laughs> Even a, even a baboon knows better than that. Listen, who would ever believe Dan Rather? He's selling points, wanting to keep his newscast up. He's not even in business anymore. Dan Rather doesn't have the truth. When you sit down at the table, what are you going to tell your children when your children ask you a question? Daddy, is capital punishment right? Well, I don't know, children. The last time I went to PTA, the PTA moms told me that it wasn't. Is that the kind of father you're going to be? Or are you going to say, children, when someone takes another person's life, their life ought to be taken. They don't deserve to live. And that's how you get rid of murderers. And that's what the Bible says. That's what I believe. And that's what I want you to believe. That's absolute truth. You can bank on it, children. That's the fear of the Lord. He puts it in our hearts. Once a man is born again, you can increase your faith by the Word of God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17, when a man's born again, and and women, I'm not slating you, and girls, I'm not slating you, but when a man's born again, and he gets his hand on the Bible, or on Bible preaching, it makes him a man. Because it gives him something to say. Did you just hear the difference at the dinner table? One's an effeminate little wimp. He's listening to PTA moms. He thinks Pete has got the knowledge of the world. 
But we've got the Word of God. It makes men. It's too bad that in most churches it's not preached. Men don't have answers for questions. Well, I don't know, son. Each of you are going to have to decide for yourselves. Oh, no! Why would a father ever say that? Each of you needs to decide for yourselves. Well, well, Dad, what about sex before marriage? Well, as long as you practice safe sex, you're going to have to decide for yourself. What kind of an answer is that? The Bible has the answer. It knows all about safe sex. It's called no sex before marriage. Sex in marriage is very safe. Especially when both practice safe sex before marriage by not having sex. It's very safe. No one's ever gotten in trouble in marriage having sex after having been a virgin when they got married. We know all about safe sex. The Bible knew all about it for 6,000 years. There are answers. When When the Lord regenerates our hearts and gives us a nature that fears God, and then the Bible comes... The Bible builds that faith, that fear of the Lord, and brings it up out of our heart and into our minds. Because we read things we say, yes, that's the truth. The fear of God causes us to say, amen. Amen. I love that. I believe that. That's what the fear of the Lord causes us to do. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 17 and the rule that God gave for the kings of Israel. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 18. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. When you get a king, Israel, make sure he's got a copy of the Bible. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. What is a successful life even for a king? Get a Bible and read it every day of your life and put it into practice. Now we've had presidents that say they read the Bible, but they've never been taught what the Bible means. They read it for the sound of the words. They read it for its political points. Few of them, none of them show any fear of God in the way the Bible describes the fear of God. We have to be honest. But look at what it says. It says the Word of God will bring that fear up. And you ought to read it every day to know what God's commandments are. Lest you turn to the left hand or the right hand, He wants you to go straight on and know the right answer for every issue that would ever face a king. And notice that it also keeps the king humble because the Word of God reminds him where the source of all his authority is. It's in the God of heaven. Did you notice that too? It keeps a man humble. Oh, do I have... Do I have more to say on that? Okay. People get troubled. The fear of God. You make God sound like He's just this terrible being that everybody has to run around scared to death from, that at any moment lightning is going to strike. That isn't the fear that I'm describing at all. The fear that I just said is an awestruck consciousness that there is a great and glorious God and you have a loving desire to please Him just like you do a good father. Do you know what the Bible says about good fathers? Thou shalt fear thy father and thy mother. Can I show that in the Bible? 
You think I can? Let's see if I can. Leviticus 19.13. Leviticus. Well, that doesn't look like the right verse, but it's in Leviticus. Just hold on a second. Oh, there it is. It's, it's verse number 3. Leviticus 19.3. Ye shall fear every man his father and his mother, and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. So there the Lord's telling us to fear our, our fathers and our mothers. What does fear mean? It's a consciousness, not that they're a creator God, but it's a consciousness that they've been given to us from God and they have authority that we ought to obey. We ought to honor them and we ought to obey them. Fear means respectful reverence and obedience and a desire to please and a desire not to displease. That's to fear your father and your mother. At the same time, the Bible would tell us that the glory of children are their fathers. You know, little children grow up looking at daddy as the hero of the world. That's in combination with fearing Him because they have respect for Him as the authority that God's put in their lives. Now, the reason I'm telling you about fathers and children is that's the relationship we have toward God. Our fear toward Him is not one of cowering in the corner because He's about to crush us. It's a desire to please Him and have His affection because when Daddy's happy, it's the best world there is. And when the Lord's happy with me and His face is smiling upon me because I'm obeying Him, it's as good as it gets. That's the fear of the Lord. It's not running and cowering away from the Lord. And I have, I have dozens of verses on this subject. Look at Exodus 20 and verse 20. I'm just going to summarize them for you because I want to get to increasing our fear of the Lord. Exodus 20 and verse 20. There are two different kinds of fear in the Bible. When, when Adam sinned, he was afraid. He said he was afraid. He went and hid in the trees of the garden from God. But see, think about that fear. That fear was rebellious. That fear was going away from God, not going toward Him. That fear blamed God for His sin. It's the woman you gave me. Where was the fear of God that ran out and said, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for listening to that woman. Please forgive me for letting my wife talk to the devil. Please forgive me for touching that fruit. Have mercy upon me. Where was that fear? There was none. The fear of him in the Garden of Eden was devilish fear. It's the fear of the devil. That's a wrong fear. That doesn't please God. That is not the beginning of anything. That is insanity. To know a God and to be afraid of Him and run away from Him. If you know God, run toward Him. The greatest mercy is in running toward God. Did you see this morning that the fear of the Lord is those that hope in His mercy? Do you know what that means? It means you run toward Him at all times. You never run away. That's a huge difference. Look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that His fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Now, wait a minute. Is this a contradiction? Fear not. God has come to make you afraid. Look at the verse. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that His fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Don't be so afraid that you tell me, we don't want to hear God. 
God hasn't come to terrify you that way so that you should tell me, get God away from us, we don't want to hear Him. God has come to prove you that His fear will be before you all the days of your life. You should be asking, what wilt thou have me to do? There's a difference in fear right there, all in one verse. Fear that is devilish fear has anguish, distress, terror, bondage, rebellion, excuses. It's man-made. It can be taught by men. It's hypocritical. Remember the Samaritans? The king of Assyria imported, Samari- imported Assyrians into Israel. They were half-breeds. Half the time they worshipped the God of heaven to keep the lion population down. And the other half of the time they worshipped their own gods. Now that's just hypocritical. That doesn't please the Lord. That's a, that's a devilish fear. That's what I meant by that. It's slothful. There's a lion in the streets. A man who fears the Lord is not afraid. He gets up and he does what he's supposed to do. It's not inactive. You know, David was afraid of the Lord because Uzzah died when he touched the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember? David was afraid and did not want to go forward with his parade when there was a very simple solution. That was a devilish fear on the part of David. He should have dropped to his knees right there on the spot and asked God to forgive him. He should have called for the high priest and said, what did I do wrong? Pull out those two stones you have, Urim and Thummim, and find out what I did wrong. I want to move this tabernacle. He should have hoped in his mercy. Instead, he was afraid to take another step, and that Ark of the Covenant went off the street and into a man's house. But is there a God worthy of fearing in a godly way? Did that man that had the, took the Ark, was he afraid? You know, there was a man that said, come on in. I've got a room over here. It's, it's my guest room. This is the Ark of the God of Heaven. He said, I'll take that Ark, David, if you're afraid of it. Why don't you put it over here? Do you know what the man made in the next month? More than you're going to make in the next ten years. Do you know what he made the month after that? Go read about it. David wanted that ark real fast. David had a wrong fear. David reacted wrongly to God's chastening in his life that he hadn't followed him after the due order. Let's not be like that. Let's run toward the Lord. Let's hope in His mercy because it's great. He'll forgive any sin you can commit. That doesn't mean you go commit any. He'll bury your whole past. And say, let's start over, son, right now. Do you love me right now? Do you fear me right now? Living in the past is devilish. It's because you're not ruling your spirit. Those thoughts have never been from the Spirit of God your entire life. Get out of them. Flush them down the toilet. Punch the silver button and get rid of them. Live in the future. Don't be like David. Don't be like Adam. Don't be like those men. Don't say there's a lion in the streets. I can't do it. You can do everything God wants you to do. Run toward Him. Hope in His mercy. He'll pity you like a father pities his children. He knows you can't do a perfect job. There's hope in the Gospel. There's wonderful hope. There's not terror. Don't cower in the corner. Don't go to bed. Don't say I can't do it. And I've said it so many times myself. My wife thinks that it's just a recording inside me. There's hope. David. David should have known better. David wasn't afraid of Goliath. He made up for it. I'm just trying to give you some examples about devilish fear. Then there's godly fear. A reverence of His majesty. A dread of His displeasure. An obedient regard to his sovereign authority. 
that's consistent with adoption as His Son, consistent with forgiveness, love, trust, joy, hope, honor, thanksgiving, and seeking after Him. That is godly fear. You treat Him like a father, not a dread sovereign that just wants to hurt you. You love Him because perfect love casts out fear. Because the Bible says the lake of fire is filled with the... What's first? The fearful. It's consistent with forgiveness. The true fear of God knows that God forgives. It's consistent with trust. And I've got verses for all these, but I don't have time for all these. I wish you would look at the outline. I wish you would make it a Bible study for this week. I will get it on the, on the internet. Print it off. Go over it with your children. Look at all the verses in it, how it describes what godly fear is. It trusts God. It hopes in God. It trembles before Him, but it seeks Him. It honors Him. And Jesus Christ is the greatest example of it. The Bible tells us wives should love their husbands. We understand that. The Bible says wives should reverence their husbands. We in this room understand that. The Bible says wives should fear their husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3. We understand that. Love, reverence, and fear all going together in the way that a wife looks at her husband. She loves him. She reverences him because of his position God gave him. And she fears him. She has a respect for his office and a consciousness that she ought to please him and she doesn't want to displease him because God put him over her. And it all fits together. The way you look at your husband, if you look at your husband the Bible way, that is how we're to fear the Lord. We love Him. Love of God and the fear of God are totally compatible. We love and respect Him. We reverence Him. We don't want to displease Him. We want to please Him. We want His smiles of favor upon us. And so we're willing to do anything we can to please and to honor Him. That is the fear of the Lord. How can we do it better? We've seen where it comes from. It came from the Lord. I can't put it in anyone. No matter how loud I might thunder, and sometimes I'm loud, no matter what words I might be able to work up, and I'm not very creative, I would not be able to ever put the real fear of God into anyone. God has to put that there. He has to grant repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, the full truth, that there is a God in heaven that deserves my total obedience. The Lord God of heaven must do that. All I do is get it up to your minds as to what we ought to be doing with what's inside. I believe that most all of you fear the God of heaven and you want to please Him. That you understand what the fear of the Lord is and you want to grow in it. Now what can we do to make it grow more? I just showed you the Word of God in Deuteronomy 17. If you get a king, Israel, make sure he's got a Bible. And make sure he reads it every day. Because if he'll read it every day, it's going to teach him the fear of the Lord. It's going to teach him what's right and what's wrong, and it's going to keep him humble in his proper place. And women, if you want to marry a great man, you marry a man of the Word of God, because the Word of God will show him what is right and what is wrong in your marriage, and the Word of God will keep him humble, and he will never be an overbearing husband. The world thinks that if a man gets too knowledgeable in the Word of God, he's going to be a tyrant. Oh, no. A tyrant in a marriage is a man that doesn't know the Word of God. Because the Word of God delivers men from being tyrants. Men, if you want to marry a good woman, what does the Bible say? Favor is deceitful. 
If she does what you want her to do, that's deceitful. That's a big lie because as soon as you marry her, she won't do that. Beauty is vain. Beauty isn't a measure of character. Beauty is going to disappear. Remember a precious proverb that I wrote you? That the beauty queen you married at 20, when she's 55 and she weighs 225 pounds and has two-inch gray hair and moles as big as grapes, is not going to keep your marriage together. Mmm, don't those feel good? That's the truth. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You get yourself a woman that fears the Lord, that believes the Bible. Every time it's preached to her how she ought to treat her husband, every time she looks at her husband, she says, he irritates me, he frustrates me, I'm angry, but God gave me that man. God told me to submit to that man, obey that man, love that man, reverence that man, and fear that man. I'm going to do that. You want to marry a woman that believes the Bible. You want to marry a woman of the Bible, young man. It's one step. Listen, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and some men helped Solomon collect it and put it together. But in the 31st chapter, after trying a thousand women, we have a letter from a, royal, from a queen mother that said the fear of the Lord is the measure of all women. Right. Get a woman that fears the Lord. She'll surpass other women in every measure. If she's in a church where she's taught the whole truth and a husband that reminds her of it. Because she fears the Lord, all he's got to do is open the book from the Lord and say, Wife... You have not been doing this recently, and this is what the Bible teaches. She's crushed. She wants to do what is right. It's from the Word of God. I could turn you to many other verses. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And it's the fear of God taught in the Word of God. And I could give you many other verses, but you know that if we were to read this Bible daily like we should... Humbly coming before it out of the fear of the Lord and reading it because we fear the Lord, it's going to build our fear of the Lord. It's going to make it greater and stronger. It's going to fill us with the fear of the Lord. It's going to tell us what what is right and wrong. It's going to tell us how to please Him and walk before Him in a way that would bring His pleasure upon our lives. It can be taught. Look at Psalm 34 and verse 11. Psalm 34 and verse 11. Here's what David said. Come, ye children... Hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Oh, that is, a, that is a precious statement from a father. Would to God that we would all do that more and more and more. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That includes Luke and Jacob. That includes every, every other child in here. Every one of our children's important. They're first the responsibility of fathers. Come, my children, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And it's out of the Word of God. It can be taught. We're to pray for it. Look at Psalm 86 and verse 11. Psalm 86 and verse 11. We first of all recognize it comes from God. We then feed upon the Word of God which builds it. We stand in awe and sin not because we meditate upon the greatness of our God. We commune with our own hearts upon our bed. Do you do that? Do you talk to God in your bed? No interruptions there. The lights are out. Nothing's going on. My favorite times to talk to the Lord. No one bothers me. No phones. No computer. No, dang, you've got mail. Nothing. I can talk to the Lord. 
And I can tell him as I'm drifting off to sleep, and it doesn't get any better in this world than this, to be drifting off to sleep and telling the Lord you love him. And would he please take care of you? And if there's anything in your life that you need to do better, would he show you? I don't know how it gets any better, and I've tried a few things. Solomon told me it was the whole duty of man, and it's the best that it gets. And it's wonderful. And then there are days like yesterday afternoon where he comes, and there is no comparison. Psalm 86 and verse 11, I've quoted it to you today about ten times. Teach me thy way, O Lord. How many ways does God have? One. You know what the world wants us to believe? All religions point to God. You've got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Indians that smoked themselves with buffalo chips all winter long and bowed down before a buffalo skeleton and prayed to the Great Spirit to take them to the happy hunting ground? That's all pointing to the same God? The Bible tells us about the God of heaven that created the heavens and the earth and how we are to worship Him. A totem pole? Child sacrifice? Allah, the moon god of the Arabians, it's called the god of the Muslims? They don't all point to the same God. And all religions don't point in the same direction. All religions point to hell except one. They're opposite of each other. Psalm 86 and verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord. This is a man that fears the Lord because he says, teach me thy way. I don't want my way. I don't want their way. I want your way. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. It's not their truth. It's not our truth. It's God's truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name because our hearts are divided. Part of you wants to do what's right if you're born again and part of you wants to do what's wrong. I have that schizophrenic personality inside of me. My flesh wants to do what's wrong. The Apostle Paul had it. And my mind wants to do what is right. And Paul had that. And I hate that struggle. And I wish it was over. And the Lord's going to end it soon enough when He ends this body's existence. But until then, we're going to fight the good fight of faith. And we're going to put off the old man, put on the new man. And we're going to pray this prayer. Unite my heart to fear Thy name. Don't let me be a double-minded man fighting two battles I only want to do one. That's serving you, O Lord. Unite my heart. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The reason your life is so messed up is because you haven't feared the Lord only. If you fear the Lord only, it pulls your life together. It's letting this battle reign. It tears people's lives up. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Is that a good prayer? Don't forget it. Let's pray it. Let's make sure it's in our prayers. Let's pray it for each other. Let's pray it for ourselves, and then let's pray it for our church. That all the hearts in our church will be united in one direction. To fear the name of God, to follow His truth, it's His, and His one way. So we pray for it. Judgment is good to help it. And that's why in Israel, all judgment was public. You know, I can't stand cat murderers. Capital punishment in this country, when they do execute it, is eight years too late on average, and it's done in private. It ought to be done eight minutes after the crime is committed, and it ought to be done in public. It ought to be on pay-per-view. I'd buy every one of them. I don't ever buy pay-per-view, but I'd buy every one of capital punishment. What if, the, what if the proceeds went to the victims, families? Wouldn't that be exciting? I'd love to drop a hundred bucks to watch someone fry. Because of honoring God's Word. Amen. 
And they could all sing, you light up my life. And I'm not, I'm not sadistic. And I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I've committed many capital crimes. But that doesn't alter the truth of God's Word one bit. Right. And if I'd have seen a few of those executions when I was younger, maybe I'd have never committed any capital crimes. Because that's the purpose of punishment, because it creates the fear of the Lord. And that's my point. God wanted all punishment to be done in public. Them that sin before, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. First Timothy 5.20. Where were you whipped in Israel? In front of the judge. Who stoned a family's children? Who laid their hands on them? Who brought the charge? Parents did, and the elders of the city would stone rebellious sons. That would help sons get sober about being good sons. Because it's not done, there is no fear of God. Because all of that authority comes from the God of heaven. It doesn't come from barbarians sitting in a cave saying, well, why don't we just kill sons? It comes from the God of heaven that says rebellious sons, there's a certain way to treat them when they haven't responded to their parents. You're going to walk out of here tonight and you're going to go to work tomorrow, many of you. You're going to be wives tomorrow. You're going to be mothers. You're going to be citizens of our country. All of it, you can show the fear of the Lord. Look at Colossians chapter 3. How about going to your jobs tomorrow? Colossians chapter 3. How do you work? How do you treat your boss? How do you treat your supervisor? It shows whether you fear God or not. Because they are there in the place of God for you. Look at how the Bible appeals to your fear of God. The fear of the Lord is not this nebulous concept out here. It's not something that belongs in a theology. It's something you're going to go home and do tonight. It's how you treat your husband. It's how you treat the government. It's how you treat your boss. It's how you treat your wife. It all shows the fear of God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. Servants. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, one motive. What is it? Fearing God. One motive. If you have any wonders about why your life is kind of messed up, humble yourself before the Word of God. God said it, that settles it. Servants, obey in all things your masters. Not the things you like, not just when they're around, not just when they're looking, because it says not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart there's one motive for working hard in the job, the fear of God. God gave me this master, though we may be forward, though I may disagree with him, though I may not like him. I obey him absolutely, fully, unconditionally. I obey him in all things. Verse 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily, fervently, passionately, energetically, fast, quick, as to the Lord. Look at what it says, as to the Lord, because you fear Him and you want to please Him. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You're actually serving the Lord Jesus Christ on the job. But he that doeth wrong, disrespect your boss, mistreat your boss, don't do your job, don't do it energetically, do it slowly, complain, gripe. Rebel, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. That's the word of the Lord. Colossians, Ephesians, 
chapter 6, 1 Peter chapter 2, and Titus chapter 2 all say the same thing and all take the, way, the work you're going to do tomorrow for your boss down to your relationship with God. This is why we know the Bible is true. No one has ever come up with a scheme to make the workplace better than the Word of God does. If all men treated their bosses this way, it'd be the most wonderful thing in the world to be a manager. No one wants to manage people today because they're rebellious, high-minded, haughty, arrogant, rebellious little brats. This is the word of the Lord. This is how you fear the Lord. How do we fear the Lord? We believe that their God is, and He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We feed ourselves in the Word of God to build it up more and more. We pray for it. We look for public judgment. We humble ourselves before it and realize that it should and could be us. And then we go out today, tomorrow, and we look at every authority sphere that God's given us, and we do it as unto the Lord, because it's how we show the fear of the Lord. There's this strange verse in Ephesians 5.21. Submit yourselves one to another... In the fear of the Lord. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. And then it lists them all for us. You know what the next verse is? Wives. Then it goes wives, husbands, children, fathers, servants, masters. In a list. See, as Christians, Christians think that, oh, now we serve the Lord. We're delivered from all that bondage to men in the flesh. Oh, oh, oh. No, no, no. You've got that wrong. The Lord is going to test your fear of Him by seeing how well you serve men in the flesh. That's what it just said in Colossians chapter 3. Proverbs 20. This is is one. No, I'm going to just read it to you. This is a verse about government, civil government. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change. For their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both? That is the word of the Lord, and I believe that with all my heart. I've tried to preach that, and I've tried to stand on that. Your, your respect that you give to President Bush is to the degree you fear the God of heaven. Right. You complain and bitch and gripe and rail and accuse and falsely accuse and slander the president of this country that God put in that office. God made the office, and God made the man for the office. Right. You don't fear God. You are a rebel. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. They go together just like that, and it doesn't matter what king it is. If it's Nero, it's the same. If it's President Clinton, it's the same. My son, this is the word of the Lord. Fear thou the Lord and the king. Why is any ruler to be treated along with the Lord and fearing him? Because God put the office and the man there. None of it's by chance. Remember, we're not baboons. If we're all baboons and there is not a creator God, then I am equal to the man in Washington and I should be able to sit with my wife and bitch about our president. But we are not all baboons. There's a creator God in heaven that put authority structures over men and he raised up special men and put them in the office. And whether there is a verse in the Bible that says he raises up, he raiseth up over men the basest of men, that doesn't matter. That's his choice if he wants to put a base man in office. He's still the right man at the right time for us. And I could go on and on with that one. The Bible says, fear the Lord, honor the king. First Peter chapter 2. You say, my life is kind of dysfunctional. Well, I'm helping you. I'm helping you find it. 
You know, I've given you a magnifying glass to look at your life and wonder why things don't work better. Maybe you're a rebel. Maybe you're a rebel. Get down and pray for our president. Shut everybody up that wants to say something negative about him. Quit slandering him. Quit reading newsletters and other crap that comes out about people that don't have a clue about what's going on in government. Whenever anybody says they've got inside information, it's because they have no information. Any inside information isn't available to little people that publish newsletters. I've read their crap all my life. They prophesied and promised the demise and the destruction and ruin of the United States 40 years ago. The Beatles were too much for them. Elvis Presley's gyrating hips were too much and the world's coming to an end. The world didn't come to an end. The United States got better and better and better in all the ways they said were going to be overthrown. I've heard it all my life. Where is the fear of the Lord? It is shown in how we treat all the relationships that God made. That's what I'm showing you. Whether it's your master, whether it's the government, or whether it's the marriage, or whether it's your children, it all is traced back to the Lord. Husbands, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Think through that verse. You don't have to think very long. Same appeal. Husbands, treat your wives in a certain way because of your fear of me. I've made you both heirs of life, and I'm watching. Every master. Now let's forget the employee. Let's jump to the employer. Colossians 4, 1, Ephesians 6, 9. Both places tell masters. Oh, and Leviticus 25. I've got to read this one to you. Leviticus 25 and 43. Listen to this. Talking to masters about their servants. Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor. Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but shalt fear thy God. Well, I thought that I'd be showing, I'll teach him the fear of the Lord. <laughs> Give me that whip. You know, that's how men think that don't know the Bible. You know what the Bible says? If you treat your, your servant delicately from a child, he'll grow up to become your son at the end. He'll want to stay with you for life. Oh, is there wisdom in the Bible? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It applies to men in positions of authority as well, just like it showed the king to stay humble. Here it shows masters. And it comes over to in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, Colossians 4, 1, it says, Masters, give that which is fair and just unto your employees, because you've got a master in heaven. Do you know what that, that whole line of reasoning is? Out of the fear of the Lord, you better treat your employees well, or the Lord's not going to be treating you very well. So how do we fear the Lord more? We humble ourselves before God and tell Him, if it weren't for you, Lord, I wouldn't fear you at all. We feed ourselves upon the Word of God and we we listen to a sermon like this. We go print the outline off. We We look up the verses. We pray for it. We look for public judgment. We humble ourselves before it. We sanctify the Lord God in our heart and we make Him our fear and our dread. 
We teach it to our children. We make it something we talk about in our homes. And we go out of this place and looking for every opportunity to practice it before men. When you go to some convenience store tonight to buy something and the clerk is slow, out of the fear of the Lord, treat her well. Out of the fear of the Lord. How do you want that Father in Heaven to treat you when you're a little slow? And do you know how often He thinks you're slow? The fear of the Lord is going to affect everything we do in here and when we walk out these doors. The Bible tells us we're sojourners here. And while we're here, we're going to be tempted by sinful lust. But we're to pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. In the fear of the Lord. But it's not cowering in the corner, is it? It's running to Him. Lord, help me. Lord, have pity on me. Because the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. And because there's forgiveness with Him that He may be feared. He'll forgive me and I can go on. He'll wipe my slate clean. And I can go forward. I can run to Him. Let's not even be like David. Let's teach it to our children. Do you know the greatest thing that can ever be said about you? You're a God-fearing man and you have a God-fearing family. And God will bless your downline because of your fear, even where there is a disconnection between the two of you. God will favor your seed, even in matters where you did not specifically teach them, out of blessing and favor towards you. He knows how important a family tree is because you put your trust in the Lord and feared Him. I've seen it all my life in many examples. Any man that does not fear God especially after hearing this, is worse than the beasts because the beasts of the field know enough to fear man. And all men ought to know enough to fear God. Every animal on this planet is afraid of man. The smell of man frightens them, terrifies them. Only when backed into a corner or so hungry that it overrides their instincts do they ever attack a human. God put the fear of men into all animals. Genesis chapters 1 tells me about it. I'm going to give you dominion over every single one of them. The animals know enough to be afraid of us. And a man that does not fear God in the way I've taught it this morning and this evening, he's worse than those brute beasts. If you don't fear God now, God's going to bring fears upon you that are going to be far worse than fearing Him. You're going to call upon Him and He's not going to answer you when you're in trouble. Our goal is to grow in the fear of the Lord. I want God bragging about you And me, like he bragged about Job. Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him in all the earth? One that fears God and eschews evil? That's what I want for you. Every one of you. We're pretty soon going to be singing a song in heaven. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth with all those who fear God. May the Lord bless us to be in that number. And to be worthy of that great choir. Amen. Amen.